Hello and welcome back to another episode of Let Loose with Moose. Today, I finally have Kun here with me. Hey Kun, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Moose? I'm good, I'm good. Man, it's been so long since we scheduled this chat and I'm happy to finally have this call with you. Yeah, I know. It's been a few months, so I'm, I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yep, exactly. Alright, uh, without further ado, could we get a quick introduction about yourself? And of course, let's hear your crypto origin story. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll just give like a quick overline summary so it doesn't get too long. But um, basically, I, I'm, a, I'm a student of markets and I, and I love to learn. And I've always had an interest in investing and, and business. And so by the coincidence of events that um, I went through before crypto, whether it's uh, owning business or interest in gold, learning about value investing, but then also working in tech startups where I learn about tech growth investing and then finding crypto through that, I saw that there was you know, value in each asset class and methodology, and it wasn't about you know, what's right or wrong. So for example, like whether you're a value investor or tech growth investor, venture capital investor, or you invest in like commodities, they, you know, all look at future expectations of why um, others will pay them more than what it is now. But what's different is the heuristics underneath those markets, you know, to define how to value them. So for example, intrinsic value and value investing, looking at rates of growth in tech to find, you know, net present value or heuristics around money for gold, etc. So yeah, just that journey naturally aligned me to come to crypto. So when it came to crypto, while most, you know, saw it as a scam, it made sense if you viewed it from the lens of other markets. I think the mistake that people can make with crypto is when you compare it with just like one other market or, or, or a different market's heuristics. So you know, if you see investing via the lens of intrinsic value cash flow, then yes, Bitcoin might look like a Ponzi scam. But then if you think about it from the lens of gold, you know, what about the US dollar? You know, you can't deny that those things have some kind of value that's not tied to the idea of intrinsic value. So yeah, but if you view, if you viewed Bitcoin from the lens of like, what is money? How does it get created? And you combine that with concepts around network effects, tech growth, venture, all of a sudden it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, through my experience, I got very interested in Bitcoin and crypto from about 2016. And then, you know, here we are today. Wow, nice. You know, I've always seen your tweets and it's always um, filled with like so much depth, right? And, and I can't help but think to myself, like, how long have you been in the markets, right? You seem so experienced and always posting all the deep thoughts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for as I mentioned, kind of crypto from 2016, but that journey that I told you about, whether it's fr even from uni, whether just throwing money around based on tickets to then like doing value investing and then, you know, interesting commodities, just understanding and experiencing those different heuristics, different types of life experiences, it, it all contributes to being able to invest in crypto. Yeah, all right, got it, got it. I know you mentioned starting crypto since 2016, but I'm sure you have a really rich experience in the stock market uh, as well, like, like you mentioned earlier. And I think this leads me to th the next question where I'm really interested in how you perform your research uh, when looking for, uh, when you're looking into protocols and deciding like which, which tokens to buy. Could you share some of your research process with us? Yeah, so um, firstly, I just want to say like research as a term 
is overrated in the sense that, you know, what you're trying to do is not research, but you're looking for insights. Because if you, if you just do research, you're basically just learning about current consensus and then you're just understanding what other people do. So like if you read a lot of the, you know, people's threads, it's like, you know, introduction to X protocol and then it talks about market cap and yada, yada, yada. It's all things that people already know. And so when I'm looking at the market, I'm looking for insights, the point of difference, what is going to be, you know, the edge that you get in the market. So a good investment is a point in time. Um, it's not the pick. And, and that's why I always say, you know, don't focus on, on the pick itself. So because a good investment's a point in time and when there's asymmetric upside, it means there is a good price and also where your thesis is not baked into the current consensus. And so expectations and growth would happen over time. So it's it's really about, you know, just reading and, and doing whatever you can to find that insight. So sometimes that insight is bottom up. So it, it could be project related or sometimes it's top down macro chain related. But yeah, I, I don't kind of sit down and decide to be in the market and then buy. It's it's kind of a over months, you, you see something, you know, you follow it. And that can come from anywhere. It can come from low count people on CT. It could come from big accounts, but maybe the thesis is misunderstood. So yeah, it, it can, th that part can come from anywhere, but the main focus should be is what is the insight that, that you can see that others can't see. Right. Got it. And would you be able to share how you kind of gain those insights, right? Like you mentioned reading on Twitter threads and what people are putting out is just taking in their opinion and like not really forming your own. So you, you mentioned trying to building your own insights across a period of, uh, reading and following that certain topic right and how do you kind of get that insight yeah so like i said the the insight can really come from anywhere i think you don't want to be too focused on like oh the insight has to come from here or there um you just have to be everywhere i mean there's no there's no there's no shortcut to insights you just have to be reading basically everything that you can consume but if you're asking like, what is the nature of an insight? The insight is not what everyone understands to be true today. It's the third order. What's the, what's the second order, third order effect um, in, in the future that's going to drive the price in the future? Because it's about being able to see future fundamentals and why when the price is 10x or 20x from now, why someone, would else, why someone else would want to buy from you. And, and so all the people that have bought today have bought because of what the current narrative is and what the current consensus is. And so no one's going to buy off you based on the same narrative, you know, 10x or 20x from now. So that's what you're trying to find. Got it. Got it. I mean, on, on that end then, right, since you also mentioned um, theses, then what about like building your investment thesis? Like what goes into it? I'm, I'm sure like the insights you mentioned is a big part of it. Uh, but could you share maybe some examples? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I really think of investing as, you know, being the intersection of kind of like, you know, economics and, and psychology. And, you know, on crypto, in crypto Twitter, you know, DGENs call it by the narrative, but, but people don't really understand what that means explicitly. But really to use, you know, TradFi examples, whether you are value investing, tech growth investing or venture investing, you're, you're trying to find, as I said before, a reason why someone will pay you more than what you paid for it, 
right? And so, so any old, you know, that you buy, whether you realize it or not, is some kind of story around how more users are coming and future revenues or rate of velocity, you know, and how they're going to be, you know, very big in the future so that, you know, you're trying to figure mm -hmm. out a good price to buy. So like, what is the net present value of future cash flows or value? Uh, um, and so this dynamic exists across all markets. It's not, it's not just a crypto thing. It's just that the, the way that you do that is, is slightly different. So the, you know, the biggest difference to TradFi is instead of using past growth to judge. So, you know, in tech companies, whether it's, oh, it's growing at 80% year over year. And therefore, if it grows at this rate in five years, then, you know, you want to be buying it at X times earnings or something like that. But instead in, in CT, mostly you're relying on future projections. And in that sense, you can think of it as very close to, you know, liquid venture. And by liquid venture, I mean, you know, private venture is basically, um, you know, you go from series A to B to C, and if it doesn't do well, like investors can lose all their money, but in what we call liquid venture, it's basically like private venture, but you know, the, the protocol from day one is liquid, right? And so that's what creates additional speculation and, you know, volatility. And so a good investment is what's based on, um, and, and thesis creation is based on future fundamentals. And it's not whether or not it's, it's fundamentally undervalued. And I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people make, because if you see many of the large app protocols that, that are shouted as undervalued, they're not undervalued. There's just no reason to give something a 50x earnings multiple when the thing's only growing at 10%, right? So... A good thesis is second, third order, as I mentioned, because a first order thesis, which is, you know, just what you read on CT today on a daily basis is just the consensus reason. And so there's no alpha there, because if you think about what alpha is, alpha is, you know, plus alpha, right? It's, it's, it's on top of what's known. It's not what everyone knows, which is almost negative alpha. Since you end up by buying based on current consensus, you end up being someone else's exit liquidity. So a thesis is not like just based on the tech, it's based on who, how, you know, when will come to cause growth. And so a big argument that people have on CT is that on the shorter timeframes, the less real outcomes are needed, but for, but for the real exponential returns, you need that thesis to play out over time in line with also a growth in usage. Otherwise you just get a pump and dump flat line you know, you see those charts where it's just like, it looks like a heartbeat and then it's just like the person's mm -hmm. dead. Um, and so it's very hard to make money on those due to liquidity and, and the shortness of the time that's spent at higher prices. And, and it's also much harder to get in at good levels. And so that's why you do, that's why I don't use the word just speculation. And, and I use the term future fundamentals because you are trying to actually understand what the future fundamentals would look like it's not it's not about just um oh ai is the future so i'm gonna buy ai coins because they could go up but if there's no foundational thesis or way to track growth then you never know when is a good time to buy or sell right so um yeah that's the type of things to be thinking about got it awesome i really like how you kind of drew the comparison between valuing growth stocks right at the rate of growth and then comparing crypto to more like a liquid venture where, where I really think it's a, a great example and I've never thought about it in that way right? but it, it really makes a lot of sense now that you mention it and I think that's kind of the beauty of crypto here 
of course, you, you mentioned many metrics earlier on. What are some of the metrics you think are more relevant? Because up to today, I can't really find uh, a, a really useful metric to kind of look at the valuation of, of certain protocols. Do you have any um, thoughts on that end? Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends whether you're talking about layer ones, whether you're talking about DeFi apps, whether you're talking about, you know, different things. And so it's it's really going to be independent of each protocol. So um, sometimes it's it's revenue, sometimes it's um, growth rate in users. It's you got to just look at well, what is going to drive stickiness, future usage, network effect growth over time. And so yeah, I mean it, that's very different to to each thing. But what I can tell you is that if you if it doesn't have any of those things and it's purely on this CT idea of you know, nothing matters. It's it, it's it's just the it's just the story. Even though no users, yeah, just as fast as it goes up, it's going to go down. And so unless unless you have some kind of process to manage around that, and so that's why that type of thing it's better for traders because you can look for bullishness. You can take a breakout trade with a stop loss with profit targets, and then you're fine. But as an investor looking longer term you wouldn't be able to do that because there's you don't have the same downside protection as, as a trader on bullish breakout. Instead, you're trying to buy low and then you're trying to gain exponential returns um, by seeing adoption and, and usage play up the same way like a venture capitalist would put in money um, into the market. And so that's why when people just say, well, crypto is all a scam, it's like, you know, there's decades, if not hundreds of years of example of people investing in businesses that haven't even started. So you can't really call that a, a scam. The, the, the main difference is just that before it, it, it was only wealthy or sophisticated investors that were allowed to speculate on that. And now Bob and Joe or someone on the street can go chuck in $5,000 if, if, if they want to speculate. And so um, when, when people have that argument, um, it, it's basically an argument um, based on different skill sets, time horizons, and basically the nature in which they want to make money. And so what's most important is that people focus um, and understand the game that they're playing, whether that is specifically, you know, breakout trading, like, are you a trader? Are you a, um, are you an investor? Are you, um, you know, a, a swing trader? Are, are you speculating? Do you have some kind of process to, well, invest or speculate on meme coins? Yeah, I'm not against any particular thing, but everyone has to kind of understand the specific nature of the area that they're playing in. Right, right, got it. And I mean, since you mentioned you're an investor, right, and I, I think you are probably not speculating or like doing all the shit coins, right? Could you share like what, what do you mean by long term? What's the time frame that we're looking at here? Yeah, so the, the main nature of, of, uh, for example, someone that trades, right? If, if you're a trader, you're basically taking an entry based on some kind of technical indicator, some kind of price-based entry, and then taking a price-based exit, right? The difference with an investor is an investor is, is trying to buy based on a, when there's asymmetric upside, when there's um, a thesis, and then they buy based on that thesis, and then they sell when the thesis either invalidates or when the thesis hits. And so, that time frame can be different. So for example, if it's a if it's an application or protocol, it could be um, I would I would prefer in the minimum time frames of kind of the one to two years at, at minimum. Um, but when it comes to say Bitcoin, 
Um, it could be decades, but you would still have a thesis and you would still track your thesis as well as invalidation thesis. And so it's, it's not about just um, selling based on the price. Got it, got it. But, but, right. but, but obviously the reason why the, the, um, on, on alts in particular, there's a shorter time frame is that because of the speculative nature of markets, the price could get way ahead of what you're investing for anyway. And so that's why generally one year at kind of minimum, but, you know, within a cycle for alts, because they just, they just, you know, get so far beyond reality. Got it. Right. So let the, build the thesis, let the thesis play out and either exit when it has performed the entire thesis or when it's invalidated. That's right. Now, now there's obviously the, the better you get at investing, the more you would just rely on that. But, you know, I always recommend that people should have a multi-factor sell strategy because, you know, like to your point, you know, creating a thesis following a thesis when it's invalidated, people can be new to that. So they might get carried away and, and they don't understand how to buy low or uh, sell high or anything like that. And so it's important to hedge against self-stupidity and, and, and have a multi-factor sell strategy. So some could be based on time, some could be based on multiples and some based on thesis. But over time, you would be trying to, you know, basically, you know, cut out your weaknesses, focus on your strengths, and then, you know, iterate over time. Got it, got it. Right. And, and then my next my next point would then be, because you tweet multiple times about risk management, right? How do you manage your risk? And of course, uh, we'll discuss about position sizing, right? I believe you've shared a little bit on that as well. We'd like to hear more about how you kind of decide uh, the size of your position. Right. Yeah. So position sizing, risk management, it, it all kind of folds together because there's the art and the science of investing and, and the position sizing portfolio structure is the science part. So it's, it's how to manage risk and survive while making sure the winners make a difference. So a, a standard kind of example I give as a, as a thought exercise for people that are investing money that is considered to be important money to them, whatever amount that is is I say, well, if you have, say, 70% of your portfolio as Bitcoin ETH split 70-30, and then five to six positions equal weight, so five to six positions at you know about 5%, and then people say, well, why do I do it like that? And, and the reason is, as I've mentioned before, that in that case, Bitcoin's about half, uh, it's about 50%, um, ETH's about you know, 25% or so, and then you have five or six, 5% positions. And the reason is, is that way, if you do a 2x on Bitcoin, then even if ETH doesn't do anything or goes to zero, even just hypothetically speaking, or alts all go to zero, you'll still be break even on a Bitcoin 2x. And, and, and so similarly, an ETH doing 3x would cover all losses, even if Bitcoin did nothing and all the alts went to zero. And then, um, an old, you know, you're setting up so that any 20x on an alt would double your portfolio. And so any one loss, yeah, okay, a 5% loss on your portfolio, it might hurt, but it's um, relatively small. So, so that, that's, that's how you manage the risk. It, it's not about avoiding loss. Pe people always think, well, well, how do I avoid loss on this position? That's not what it's about. It's about asymmetric upside and your winners being so big that they cover for losses. And so the risk is managed in the portfolio. It's not managed in the position. Now, 
that's the difference between as well investing and trading because in investing the risk is managed on the field like i say like a like a soccer team playing on the field you don't sub 10 strikers off of 10 defenders whereas a, a, a trader manages the risk um on each position based on bankroll right that's why they have a stop loss and 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 um take profit target so that's kind of how the risk is managed right got it so you mentioned earlier for example getting alts to double portfolio um when that's a 10x right so i would assume you do a really concentrated portfolio of like let's say you know less than maybe five positions i mean outside of bitcoin and eth right yeah um and i just want to say obviously the smaller the portfolio you have and the higher the risk tolerance that you have in the sense of like oh i can afford to lose this money and stuff you could just shift the btc and eth allocation but i tell everyone it doesn't matter how small your portfolio is i would still hold like five percent in bitcoin or even ten percent in bitcoin because you know if you actually come to crypto to invest um you have to understand bitcoin you use Bitcoin as a sovereign asset, as a savings tool. And so it helps build that mode of understanding and kind of the same way, like if you don't understand a sport, but you put $20 to bet on the game, all of a sudden you start under understanding the rules and even a game you didn't care about all of a sudden, you know, you become, you know, like you understand all the rules very quickly, right? So there's that kind of view on it and then also um even if you have a small portfolio the reason why you just want to hold at least a, a little bit is that if, if you can't even run up your portfolio goals with you know 95 percent of your port then you weren't going to make it with 100 percent anyway so it, it so there's regardless of the size it, it i would always just say figure out what percent you want to allocate to bitcoin regardless of how small or not that might be Right, got it, got it. So Bitcoin is kind of like the, I think it's the safer play, right? And, and I like well, how you... I, like I said, I mean, you can talk about it as safer or riskier, but I'm actually, and, and that's why when someone invests in crypto, I always say start with understanding Bitcoin deeply because if you actually come to Bitcoin and then you're long-term bullish, then you have to understand that Bitcoin is a self-sovereign asset that's going to help you grow your wealth over time. So it's not even about you know riskier or safer riskier or safer or over one kind of cycle it's it's about um longer term thinking because if if you're investing in crypto but you're not bullish on bitcoin or eth or you know over a longer time frame then you can't really invest because you um by definition, an, an investor is hoping based on the success over a longer period of time, right? And so I, I think it's just important that, that people think about the longer term as well as the short term. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and when you mentioned that I can't help but think about uh, in the stock market, right? Would you then tell people to allocate a certain percentage to the, the biggest ETFs like SPY or like uh, QQQ, for example? Right. So... So the way I think about it is before you even start investing in crypto. So firstly, you always start from the position that you could be wrong. And so when you invest in crypto, you have to be willing to consider what loss looks like. And if that level of loss is too big, then the amount that you're putting into crypto is is too big if you, if you can't take drawdowns in volatility. 
So you have to start from that view. So for me, the way that I would think about that and, and I have personally is I have a long-term thesis around obviously the devaluation of the dollar and the fact that the world is run by people with four-year incentives and we're not going to be able to solve these long-term debt cycle problems. So the idea of saving in cash just does not obviously work. And so you have to consider, okay, well, what are going to be the beneficiaries as a store of value type asset? Now, you know, it could be Bitcoin, but if it's not Bitcoin, you know, what could it be? It could be, and as we have seen real estate, we've seen the S&P 500 has kind of tracked that way and obviously um, gold as well. And so, so then you have to think about, okay, what allocation do I want to have outside um, crypto? And then you just basically have to think through that process and come to a term that you're happy with. Now, obviously, the smaller amount of capital you have, you probably you know, would not be thinking about that at the start. And you probably are in crypto. And that's why I also recommend still a, a higher percentage to Bitcoin because of that. You know, if it's if it's money that you can't afford to lose 100%, then then just being in alts is, is a dangerous play because in bull markets, you might be up. But then if you don't know how to invest, you don't know how to um, buy properly or sell properly, you end up at a loss by the time you get to the next bear market because you've just ridden everything to zero. Whereas, whereas at least that hasn't happened to um, Bitcoin. So, so yeah, it's for me, it's not about should you invest in QQQ or this or that. It's it's about understanding that you may be wrong, considering downside, being okay with the downside, and so how you manage that downside is is up to each person. Right. All right. Understood. Since we were talking about uh, let's say like Bitcoin, for example, right? And of course, I would love to hear your take on on your thoughts on Bitcoin with the recent ETF approval, right? It's been, I think, one, two weeks since the approval. And of course, the uh, upcoming discussions with ETH, ETF as well. Right. Yeah. Obviously, this is just, you know, my opinion. But yeah. like, yeah, the, the most important thing I think about the Bitcoin ETF was actually the change to crypto becoming a legitimate asset class and then giving the ability for capital the option to directly buy. And, and I emphasize the word option to buy because just because an ETF happens doesn't mean automatically billions of dollars are going to come from day one, right? So there, there's, you know, there, there are two different timeline things, the short-term benefits, long-term benefits. But on the first point on, you know, legitimizing the asset class, um, we get a couple of different psychological marketing benefits, I would call them. And so the first one is you think about BlackRock and these others, their lobbying and media capacity to change the image of crypto as an asset. It, it basically legitimizes investing in crypto. And so and so now I, I joke that instead of us being considered Ponzi speculators, all of a sudden we've become you know sophisticated alternative asset investors. <laughs> and so BlackRock's already started to shift that message and image publicly, right? Because even Larry Fink's talking about Bitcoin as a flight to safety when he called it a you know scam only only a few years ago, and that now they're talking about Bitcoin enabling transparency by having everything on chain so you can track the transactions. Whereas before it was considered the money laundering, you don't know where the you know, money is type going. And so you can see how they're shifting the image. And I can imagine that, you know, BlackRock being, you know, they, they market themselves as ESG friendly. So you can imagine in the future that all of a sudden that instead of talking about proof of work being an energy sucker, it's going to become 
and an enabler of idle energy, you know, and how we don't need to dig up the ground like we do with gold. So it's a, it's a very powerful machine, that, that lobby media machine that, that these funds create. And the second psychological benefit is that, you know, BTC and crypto kind of as a global asset crossing the chasm, proof of that. And it kind of psychologically gets rid of this view of, oh, the US will ban crypto or, or the US will ban Bitcoin. Because now for them to do that, you know, they could get sued left, right and center. I mean, there's so many different now issues because of investments made based on the legitimization of it as an asset class. And so they're very strong modes and kind of network effects that we can that we can grow from. And that's kind of the short term benefit. Obviously, the long term benefit is the flow and of passive funds, but that's obviously going to take time. So then what about ETH ETF? Now, this is where we've got to think from first principles and really think through it. So, so that's why I think with ETH, similarly, long-term, it'd be bullish if ETH develops. But I think the Bitcoin ETF was the light bulb moment. And then any other ETF for crypto moving forward is just going to be another light bulb. Because the, this, this psychological shift that I talk about, the crypto legitimization as an asset, you know, that was a one-time psychological shift benefit. And so people are already, you know, we're already speculating on ETH and others based on the belief that, you know, ETFs are definitely going to happen. So basically that price speculation is more likely to happen ahead of time. And then, you know, for the actual flows to ETH post ETF, you have to think about that in current, you know, um, traditional funds, they already consider Bitcoin risky enough. And it's only now that Bitcoin can be articulated as an investment. And, and you see many books and papers written on this. But in the real world, like in TradFi, ETH is still considered a, it, it's still considered like a venture bet. You know, there's no clear view amongst TradFi what it is. You know, you just, even on CT, if you just put ETH people in a room, they won't be able to agree on whether it's a compute platform. You know, is it sound money? Is it the leading L1 play? And so I would think that the inflows will be magnitude smaller than the difference between, you know, compared to Bitcoin ETF, even accounting for the difference in market cap. So for Bitcoin, you had a run up with speculation on how much might flow into the Bitcoin ETF. But now the Bitcoin ETF is alive and, and it'll run for at least six months, you know, before any possibility of an ETH ETF. The estimations on ETH flows will be much more accurate and smaller than Bitcoin because there's a reference point. And, and so I think that the price will be much more efficiently, you know, come to consensus on ETH than the kind of speculative run originally that happened for Bitcoin because there is data to compare. And then also you have to consider, you know, whether the ETH ETF will be approved this year or will it be delayed? And the danger comes from speculative view that now that Bitcoin ETF is approved, that um, speculation, that levels move on to ETH, which is which is basically people saying that the ETH ETF will definitely get approved kind of this year. And so that's where it becomes a bit dangerous. So, so I, I just basically similarly say to zoom out and think about it from a longer term lens as an extension to helping the thesis play out, but not as the event itself to kind of just play around. So yeah, that, that's kind of my general view. Right, got it. And you know, like how... Bitcoin and, and like crypto in general is supposed to be decentralized, right? What are your thoughts on on like having all these huge funds owning a, a large chunk of it? Well, 
Well, one thing is um, obviously the funds are custodying it. They don't, the fund doesn't own the Bitcoin. They're buying it on um, other people's mm -hmm. behalf. But the same way you think about gold, I mean, gold is held by countries. It's held in um, funds. Some people hold physical gold. It's not a new concept as far as, um, far, as, far as that concerned. And then a lot of the buyers, whether it's in retirement accounts or funds, they're not able to custody the Bitcoin and the nature of the asset class, like the way that you view gold. Some people hold gold as a as a hedge. Some people hold it speculatively. There's all different types of players in the market. And so I, I think of it as a, as a positive thing to help increase awareness and adoption. And the same way that Satoshi um, put in the white paper that, um, you know, a peer to peer kind of cash originally Ultimately, it doesn't really matter what the first person wrote. I mean, firstly, he, he talked more about it being um, store of value in, in, in the non-white paper in other forums. But, but separate to that, it's kind of like the discovery of penicillin. They, they didn't discover penicillin hoping for, you know, a cure. They just kind of stumbled upon it. And then the, the benefits of it have become paramount to, you know, humans in, in all different ways. And so... Same with Bitcoin. I think, you know, some people may use it and hold it differently, but I don't think that that's any less valid if, if it serves a purpose to each person. I mean, ultimately, we are giving, well, I say we, but ultimately Bitcoin from a philosophical standpoint is giving people the option to do what they want. So so they should be able to do what they want. And, and that also comes in the form of how they decide to buy or accumulate it, in my opinion. <laughs> Got it, got it. All right. Uh, and then, on, of course, on the same topic on, on the markets, uh, where do you see us going in 2024 in general? Yeah, so, I, you know, I first always say, like, forecasts and, and calls ends up being a fool's game because investing is based on um, how many of the, you know, eight out of ten futures can I do well as opposed to how can I do well in one outcome, which is what most people do. And, and that's why you end up losing, right? And so, but when you, but just as a general opinion question, my um, my outlook is something I'm, I'm not as, as confident in as I trust the process, but I expect it to be non-linear and, and, and a tough market as, as I don't think that CT is just going to get this right where it's just up only for 2024 2025 i think we'll i think we'll see both time and price based capitulation but obviously longer term um the general sentiment is that you know we're seeing a confluence in the gold all-time high breakout we're seeing the s&p 500 breakout it's it's an election year with expectations of shift in rates so i think the the general market on a longer term is is pointing up but um it's not going to be a straight line. Never has the market allowed retail and everyone just on CT to make money in a straight line, right? And so mm -hmm. I, I don't think that will be the case this time either. Got it, got it. So broadly positive, but expecting some dips along the way. Choppiness as, all, Choppiness. as well as, 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 well as deep price-based capitulation um, so that it, it tests every market participant. Because the market has a weird way of making sure that people end up with the returns that they deserve over time. Like in the short term, you can get lucky, market goes up or whatever. But the process of investing or trading is putting money in the market and then also 
getting money out of the market, right? It's not just buying and it's not just about selling. And so over the long term, everyone ends up getting the returns that they deserve. Got it. All right. And one final question before we go on to the more personal section to get to know more about you. Um, the question would then be, what are some of the topics that you're more bullish on right now? It could be certain chains or certain narratives, sectors, or even projects. Yeah. So, so what I want to tell people is to, is really don't focus on a pick and get obsessed about some pick because, you know, every time you look on CT and, and everyone's obsessed about a certain pick, look at look at the performance of that over the next six months versus something that was not known and and just look at the difference in in how much it underperforms and so the real focus the Pareto um, distribution focus you know the 80 20 of of crypto is where is their asymmetric upside um and 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 who is going to happily buy it off you expecting even more crazy upside even after it 20x's so avoid the current consensus as that like rotates every three months and and people confuse something being up a lot as somehow that's a better investment but really the higher something goes the worse an investment it becomes you know there's this meme on twitter about buy high sell higher and that is true if you're a trader because if you're a trader, you're buying a breakout, you have a stop loss, as I mentioned, and then you take profit. So that's a very fine strategy as a trader. But if you're investing, the, the downside is managed by being early and then across a portfolio, you're not, you know, if you just always buy high, eventually when the market downturns, um, you're going to lose a lot. And so when, when you talk about change narratives, sectors, you know, st just always start from the view of, is there asymmetric upside? Is this an opportunity that has a first, second, third order thesis, something that someone will buy off me for 20x happily, not just um, I'm going to dump on retail type thinking, but actually will a different investor buy this off me at 20x? And if you think about that, you start weeding out a lot of things naturally. And although there's hundreds and hundreds of different things in the market, there's only so many things that each individual person will be able to understand, have a thesis about, um, and then also be willing to hold over longer periods of time. And so it, it's really important that each person finds that and that they don't base it off, you know, whatever is the flavor of the day. So yeah, that's kind of a, a generalized answer, but that's how I think about it. Got it. Right. Um, oh, one more question that I wanted to ask. Like, do you dabble with any of the potential airdrops, like given the some of the more significant airdrops that were out uh, early this year and of course last year as well? I, I don't I don't um deliberately farm airdrops. If if I get an airdrop by using something, then that's great. But I do recommend people starting or with uh, a smaller capital base to you know focus on airdrops. One because it's a good learning experience. Actually, in you know actually interacting with the protocols and two, the rate of return is, is going to be very high if you have a small portfolio. And uh, another thing is that the newer that you are to crypto or anything, it's easier to focus on systems instead of a process. And so a system is like packing boxes, right? And a, and a process might be how to op operate the factory. And so you see um, this both in trading and also um, in terms of making money 
on longer term with airdrops and stuff is like, you know, a, a trading example would be, um, you know, as a trader, you could just focus on breakout trades, right? With a stop loss, you don't even have to understand crypto, right? You could basically just yep. apply technical setups um, and, and just play that, right? And so that's a system because you're only selectively playing the same thing over and over based on a, 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 um, a one-dimensional system as opposed to a multi-dimensional process. And similarly, airdrop farming is a, is a system which allows you to uh, learn and make money and, and kind of grow in, the, in, in that um, system. It's not always going to be repeatable and not everything's going to pay off, but it's a way to just kind of start to start learning before you build on your, on your process. So yeah, that, that's how I would think about it. All right, got it. And really appreciate all the insights and frameworks that you shared earlier on. Now I want to get to know a little bit more about yourself, right? Like, could you run us through a day in the life of Kun? Yeah, so there isn't much to say about my days. They're very uh, peaceful days. So lots of reading and sitting around and thinking. And if, if you speak to um, any long-term investor type, they tend to have that in common, at least in my experience, speaking with long-term investors. Whereas, you know, traders tend to be more action orientated and, and love doing activities. So that's an interesting connection I've found. But the, the reason I have that kind of peaceful day is um, I believe that, you know, if you want to be happy and successful in the way that you make money, you have to make money in the way that you kind of are as a person. So if, if you're a calm person who doesn't enjoy being action orientated, then obviously you should invest and make money being patient and calm, not actively trading. And if you can't sit around and do nothing, then it's going to be very frustrating for you to be patient and calm. And so maybe then trading is better suited. And so, yeah, I mean, my days as probably as, as peaceful, but also as boring as one, one could might imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so like, how does your routine look like? Like, do you just Wake yeah, up, go so for walks, will, um, read books. So literally, if you want to know exactly what my day looks like, it's in the morning, uh, um, you know, I, I don't eat breakfast. So I'll, I'll wake up. I'll just uh, do some reading. I'll go to a, uh, a cafe for lunch, think about things, go for a walk, come back, do some reading, some kind of light physical exercise. Then I'll have an early dinner, and then um, to unwind and just kind of think about other things, not not just investing. So it could be something random, like whatever my interest is of the day. So always trying to learn, not just about investing, but it could be about relationships. It could be about psychology. It could be about um, health, whatever it may be. Then then watch you know Netflix or something, something to kind of just turn the brain off, and then go to sleep. That's that's basically my daily routine. <laughs> Man, wow, well, you. You mentioned reading and thinking a lot. Like, what do you usually read about? Like, is it purely um, markets focused, like reading on Twitter and, and keeping up with the projects and all? Or, like, do you enjoy reading some, I don't know, maybe fiction books as well? Um, literally, I just give myself the freedom to be open to learn about whatever the hell's on my mind. And I find that over time, it's kind of helpful across different disciplines. So, I, I don't restrict myself on what that is. I'll literally just read and and um, this is um, unsolicited life advice so take it with a grain of salt this is just something I've come to think about a lot which is that people that are ambitious 
and growing generally have the mindset of, I don't know enough, I need to keep growing. But everyone that talks about happiness and stuff, it, it, it's about how you have to be grateful for what you have and that what you have is enough. And so the reason why I just focus on the concept of learning and, and, and kind of trying to tie my identity with the concept of learning is then it's not about do you have enough or not you're just learning and growing and then over time just by the process of learning it will naturally attract more money better relationships over time without actually without even having to aspire for it and so that that keeps me kind of happy and peaceful but still focused on learning which then produces the growth outcomes and so yeah when when you ask me the question of what do i focus on learning about it's just it's just whatever whatever's on my mind got it got it yeah i think i think that's really helpful uh for myself as well like i i like to learn more about stuff that i just find interesting i think it's similar to what you just mentioned but i i don't think i go I don't really go in depth into it, right? Maybe just on the surface, know a little bit about the topic. But yeah, I think I think generally it's it really helps to be curious and and just want to learn and consume more information. Uh, even though like it might not be within the markets, right? Just for general knowledge or like maybe sometime in the future you you happen to meet someone and you he's an expert in the topic, for example, and then you can at least carry a little bit of the conversation with him based on the, my limited knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you see on CT all the time about people like just focused on making money and they say, oh, I'm going to quit. They say they're going to quit crypto after this cycle. Or they're going to quit in investing or whatever. You know, that's that scarcity type mindset, that focus on purely an economic outcome. And so they're not happy because they're just focusing on this future money type thing, which actually makes it harder to be a good investor, but then it means that the way that they make money is not something that they enjoy. And so what's the point of doing something you don't enjoy when there's other ways that you could make money, but enjoy doing it. And so, yeah, I try to keep it all harmonious together so that the way that you make money is, is something you would do regardless. Um, and that you find happiness from the, um, from the journey and the experience of it. And so, yeah, when, when people say things like, oh, why does, you know, why do you stay in crypto? Why do other people stay in crypto if they don't need to? And it's kind of like, well, then why does, um, you know, why does Buffett invest when, when he's got hundreds of billions or, you know, why mm -hmm. does, um, you know, it's because if you listen to their stories, it's about the enjoyment of it. It's not even, it's not even about the money at that point. And so you're blessed if you can, you know, find the process to make money that aligns with obviously what, what you enjoy doing. And so if you can tie your identity with learning, then naturally you learn and you enjoy that process. And then a byproduct of that is, is, is money from that. Right. So yeah, that, that's what I try to do. Right. Right. Got it. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's wrap things up soon. Right. The final few questions from me. Firstly, what is an advice you would give for your younger self? Yeah, so kind of as an extension of what we talked about, like the I, I think that the way that you make money should reflect your strengths and weaknesses. And instead of listening to all people that um, did well, just follow and pursue those that are ahead of you that have the same disposition, temperament and psychology, um, because you, you'll get ahead much faster. Because if you 
you learn the lessons much faster because they, they have the same temperament. Um, and, and so, yeah, it'll just speed up your process. Because when we're younger, we get too caught up on whoever has more money, but we don't consider the differences in motivation, you know, temperament, you know, um, like different people are built differently, right? So, you know, if your psychological makeup, let, let's give it a kind of, metamorphic example so the equivalent of being born seven foot one built to play nba then you're not going to be asking advice from a a soccer player as to how do i become the best you know soccer player you'd be looking for an nba player and asking them okay how do i you know how do i become a basketball player right because that's like the physical disposition so similarly psychologically if you are patient calm and you have a mindset that's better suited for investing than trying to get advice from some trader because he has more money than you doesn't make sense because it's it's a natural different you know psychological disposition and so yeah find people that are like you that are ahead of you and um yeah that that's the i think the hack in terms of making money faster all right and what about your greatest takeaway from being in crypto yeah, the greatest takeaway, there's a couple, but I would say, and you've seen this across the last 10, 10, 15 years, but like, don't focus so much on being right or wrong. It's it's not about being right or wrong. It's it's about, is there asymmetric upside and is the risk worth the reward? And so you have to stay curious, be a student. Because when people say even 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever, that, you know, Bitcoin was going to fail or whatever, and they say Bitcoin can't be the global currency, that might be right. But that doesn't mean that the asset won't do well. I mean, you know, what's wrong with five or 10 countries deciding to use it, you know, one in 50 companies, you know, deciding to use it one in 20 people deciding to own some Bitcoin, you know, does it not everyone owns physical gold, right, but gold still does well, um, Mm -hmm. you know, relatively speaking. And so when people try to focus on the academics of being right and wrong, it's such a detriment to in investing, but also just in life in general, always looking for that certainty. But asymmetric upside and money is made in the mispricing of risk in the asymmetric upside. So I would say don't focus on being right or wrong and ask yourself, is is there um, is there mispriced risk? Is there possibility? And is that possibility worth the risk? And then the second thing is, I would just say that know your strengths and weaknesses and your temperament and psychology well. And, and, if you, and if you just know that, just your strength, weaknesses and your temperament and psychology, then you can invest in any market. So yeah, that, that would be my kind of um, the, the, the real big takeaways that, that I've got from crypto. Awesome. awesome. I like how you repeatedly mentioned the same things about understanding yourself and what fits best for you i think it's good and it's time for me maybe to even reflect inward uh, and figure out what is best suited for myself yeah because i just want to and i've said this before but the only lesson that anyone needs to learn is their next lesson and so if if you just started to play basketball then the the coach isn't going to teach you how to do a slam dunk right you're going to learn to dribble and then now you look at nba players or whatever and you know, they do everything well. So then everyone's like, oh, I just want to be able to do, you know, I just want to become a pro NBA player. That's that's basically the, you know, whether it's sport or investing, it's the same thing. You don't just start 
and then you just go and find what is the superior process. It's about learning and then becoming better at it over time. And the only way you can possibly do that from a first principles view is that you have to understand your strengths and weaknesses, work on your weaknesses so that you can maximize your strengths and then you just iterate and then you improve your process over time. So no one process is the right process for everyone. And so the, the more self-aware you are, the more you understand your strengths and weaknesses, the faster you're going to be able to iterate and improve. And so, you know, that thing of iterations, iterations is, is really the, the goal. It's not about, and you see this mistake all the time. Some great investor says something like, oh, buy low, sell high. If you're an experienced investor, you understand what that means. But if you're not, and I experienced this because when I tried to help people, they would come back to me and then they would say, oh, I, but I bought this, you know, low, but, but it was like, you know, very, it was actually very expensive because they don't understand what buy low means, right? And so, you know, the next lesson would have been, okay, well, how do you value companies or how do you value protocols? It's not just jumping to the platitude, which is actually got a root of different details and hundreds of things that might be under that to get to. So yeah, focusing on strengths and weaknesses, I, I can't, I can't iterate enough how important it is. And the next lesson generally comes from whatever your last mistake was. All right. Uh, thanks so much for sharing. Right. And I'm going to post the final question, which is, could you recommend me three names that you think would be a great guest on the podcast in the future? Yeah. So I want to give one big one and, and a couple maybe um, smaller. I, I mean, I always recommend Bob Lucas. I know he's a very big account, but the, the reason I recommend Bob is that it's the that that psychological thinking he provides, but from a from a from a swing trading investing mindset. So it's not about following his calls. It's about him always thinking about the upside and downside together, thinking about um, risk management, how do you maintain and how do you become successful over time? So I think that's very important um, for beginners. I always say start with understanding Bitcoin. And so, you know, I mean, everyone's looked at, you know, sailors long interviews and stuff, but I'd recommend John Pfeffer um, and surname Pfeffer is P-double-F-E-F-E-R. And he's written a, a, a wonderful paper in, in 2017, and it's still as relevant today as it was then, which is an institutional investor's view on crypto assets. It's, it's a great read to force yourself to think from first principles. So I, I would, if someone was to be able to interview him, I would definitely ask him about Bitcoin and then has his views on, you know, alts and, and layer ones and stuff changed over time. Mm-hmm. And then similarly, I would um, recommend um, uh, Crypto Dan because Crypto Dan also from a a longer term, um, but but you know, both investing and trading standpoint talks about processes and, and how to become successful. And so I, I think that's, uh, that would also be useful for people, but yeah, as you can see, I'm, I'm really focused on processes, mm-hmm. um, first principles, thinking pattern recognition, you know, kind of skill sets that are transferable across asset classes, markets, and time. And so when you think about growing wealth, or about growing anything. It's about timeless applicability, not just about does the price go up if 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 the ETF is approved or if you know 
what what's going to happen to the price next week those are not not repeatable right and so um i would recommend um you know learning from people and things that are that are process oriented right got it and really appreciate um you sharing all your your wise words here right <laughs> lots of philosophical stuff but really appreciate it and of course thank you for taking the time to come on man no miss i'm i'm glad we got to um to do this and i appreciate you um wanting to uh do this uh with me and so yeah i appreciate you and um i hope we get to do it again sometime yeah for sure um before we hop off right is there any other things that you want to talk about like in case we missed anything out no like it, just to summarize i think it would just be um which, which i like to say over and over is is really consider markets or any endeavor an an inside to outside pro, process where it's understanding yourself it's about your strength your weaknesses and then applying that as you meet the physical world as opposed to the outside in and so the frame of thinking should always be you know you're the chef you're the painter um and so what you can create is a function of yourself it's not a function of the market or the canvas or the dish right so yeah that would be my um parting parting words <laughs> All right, thanks so much and of course highly recommend everyone to follow Kun on his Twitter right. He always shares a lot of insightful tweets over there. And once again, thanks for taking the time to come on and of course thank you to the listeners for tuning into this episode. We will see you in the next app. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Before you go, do remember to give us a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button so you never miss a thing. Comment down below what you liked about this episode. Who you would like me to interview next or any topics that you want to learn more about until next time this is moose moving out